of your eye. Huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. Okay, so this is season two, episode six. So we're moving right along. Krampus. Yes, Krampus. By all intents and purposes, this is actually a uh, big budget U.S. film. Right. Uh, it was distributed by Universal. Came out in 2015. It had a $15 million budget. And you're going to recognize tons of people in the cast. So Yeah, the one guy with the horns. He seems so familiar. No, I've seen him in something else. This is a horror comedy. It's also a dark fairy tale with clear opening, closing, and obvious good and evil elements. Yes. Not unlike uh, Mama. Yeah. And the the comedy part is very dark, kind of mortuary humor. It's not laugh out loud at the funny jokes humor, except for the end. This is not Tucker and Dale versus evil. Right. This is a little darker. Right. And it's um, the even good though, Krampus movie. Is we both uh, commented that we've seen mal- especially the ones from the library, that they're just horrible. There's so many out there. Yeah. It, I I it's funny too, because in today's world with the tech and the tools, you, you can't say it's a bad movie because you didn't have the right equipment. It, it's Okay, you have a bad movie because it's a bad story and you're a bad movie teller, yeah. videographer, whatever. Which, everybody has to start somewhere. I get that. but No, come at us, bad Krampus movie guys. <laughs> That's what, that, should be our, that should be our season bonus. All the bad Krampus movies in one go. Yeah, I know. Those are, I couldn't do that. No, some, I had to stop a few of them too. I've seen them. Yeah. This is just too bad. And this one, which was good, it was well rewarded because $15 million budget spent, $61 million return. Nice. So not only was it profitable, yeah, about four times. It's not based on a book, but there, it, it became like a cultural kind of icon thing. So there's a graphic novel that was based off of the movie and then all kinds of merchandise with like statuettes masks etc yeah until this movie came out i really didn't hear a lot about krampus in the cultural lexicon anywhere since this movie i've seen it a lot more and maybe it's just because now i'm noticing it but i think because i know there we saw something josh gates did a legendary locations and they're one of the netherland type countries i believe they have a krampus mm-hmm. festival and they all dress up and if you get 10 scares you get initiated into the hall of fame Yeah, the movie is based on Austro-Bavarian folklore figure Krampus, who is our visiting person. He visits your house. Well, so does Um, the aunt and the crazy uncle, and that's right. (laughs) The family visits as well. Yes, and and this is a great Uh, Christmas movie. It's a feel-good movie, just like A Christmas Carol. It's right up those lines. Michael Doherty is the guy who wrote and directed it. And he said he wanted the first third of the movie to just be a Christmas movie. And it was not a horror thing. And it, yeah, he did a very good job. of it. Yeah. 
it's Not identifiable. Like, you can relate to it. Right. You know, I'm joking about the Christmas Carol because it doesn't leave you with a wonderful feeling like that. <laughs> no, but he does reference that. Yes, he absolutely um, does. So on December 5th, traditionally, St. Nicholas would come and visit houses and Krampus would come along with him. And St. Nick would gift good kids with foodstuffs, basically, put my glasses on. And Krampus would come along with a whole bunch of rods made out of birch called rutin. And he would beat the bad kids with it. He so, wasn't. Really? It didn't start with him taking people to hell. <laughs> really, the American version of Santa Claus. Then it, it really is the Disneyfied version of the fairy tale. <laughs> it is. Like, you know, make it all nice and wholesome. <laughs> yeah, it's the Wizard of Oz. If you take the w- Wicked Witch out of the whole deal, yeah, and the monkeys. After 1932, Germany prohibited Krampus traditions. Because they thought that it was bad. The fall of the Nazi regime, it was no longer prohibited. But in the 50s, the German government distributed anti-Krampus propaganda in an effort to tamp down the popularity of Krampus. I find that. Yeah. Krampusnacht is the the night that they uh, celebrate Krampus. They still celebrate him around December 5th. And the movie release was supposed to originally be November 25th, but they moved it to 12-4 to coincide with Krampus Knocks the next day. That's nice. Yeah, it was a clever idea. Yeah. Not that anybody really knew it. A few people probably. Yeah, if you happen to be from Germany or Austria, that area. His appearance has changed a little bit over the years, but he's always shown with cloven hooves, horns, and a long tongue. The... Krampus that we see in the movie was built off of images from historic documents, postcards and and stuff like that, that he was on. They basically took a bunch of them, put them together and were like, ta-da, here's what we think our Krampus looks like. I think that's pretty cool because I like some of the old English, you know, Victorian era type Christmas paintings, drawings, advertising, yeah, all that. woodcut kind of look. Exactly, yeah. And I can see that with this. And I'll say, I, I got a note for this later, but the creatures, the costumes, everything that is super fantastic in this movie. I absolutely loved every bit of it. And it looked like it was all practical. I don't know if there was any CGI going on, maybe a little, but it looked practical for the most part. So the CGI, when we get to it, you'll be like, I can't believe that was actually CGI. Because the vast majority of the CGI that happened here had nothing to do with the characters. It was everything else. Okay. I I can see the gingerbread, but like Krampus's outfit and most of the elves and the masks they had on. It's pretty fantastic. I loved all of that. It didn't look rubbery hokey. Yeah, yeah. Krampus typically works alone or sometimes in the old days he would travel around with St. Nick. They introduced this concept in the movie of having him have a little help. And... That actually did occur sometimes because he was popular in the Alps. You would have small communities that were isolated from each other and they would have different traditions. And so some of those places he would have helpers and some of them they would not. But the elves that are in this movie are based off of the Icelandic Yule lads who are Icelandic Christmas figures and with names like bowl liquor and spoon liquor and Gully a gawk and sausage swiper. They're and, not the uh, ones yeah. that Snow White stayed with. No, definitely not. Um, so 
he was merging different obscure ethnic Christmas traditions into this movie when he made it. The vast majority of this movie, 95% of it was shot on a soundstage. That means they had to make up a bunch of stuff while they were doing it. The one notable part that was not shot on a soundstage was the opening scene in the department store, and that was actually shot in a department store in New Zealand, of all places. <laughs> the movie was written by Michael Doherty with his friends Zach Shields and Todd Casey, and Doherty wanted to do a Christmas horror film, and he was looking around, looking around for concepts and came across the idea of Krampus and just loved it. It was supposed to be rated R, but they couldn't come up with financing because it was a Christmas-based movie, so they agreed to drop it to uh, PG-13, and then uh, Universal greenlit it. Wow. Yeah. And it's still pretty horrific in spots. They do the the good old, what's happening, but we're not going to show it, which I think is fantastic. There's actually one of the most controversial scenes that they left in that almost got them an R rating is they're all sitting around with their aunt who spikes the hot chocolate and an underage kid drinks the hot chocolate. Wow. And that is, yeah, that was one of the things that almost put them over the edge. That's yeah, never mind giant clown jack-in-the-box monsters swallowing children whole or anything like that. We can't have the kids drinking spiked hot chocolate. <laughs> Which never happened. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael Doherty likens his movie to A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life, where you have broken characters who are shown um, the error of their ways through visits from supernatural forces. And uh, I I can see that. I I can see the correlation between the two. Yeah. And a little bit of Christmas vacation in there. Yeah, sure. So now the people involved, you have Michael Doherty, who worked as a writer on 15 films. And directed eight of these. The Hellraiser TV series. X2, the second X-Men movie. Superman Returns. I knew I recognized his name. I didn't look it up, but yeah, okay. The Trick or Treat titles, those horror movies, those are his. Nice. X-Men Apocalypse, Godzilla King of Monsters, Godzilla vs. Kong. He's even acted in four titles uncredited with walk-ons in Superman Returns and Godzilla King of Monsters and then two others that you wouldn't have heard of. He was the fifth so, person squished between Godzilla's toes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so holiday horror movies is a thing for him now. Now he's got Halloween and Christmas under his belt. He's working on Trick or Treat 2, which he promises will get a hard R rating, despite whatever financing he can come up with. But with these two titles under his belt, I imagine he'll be able to find people willing to give him some money. Adam Scott is in this movie. He plays Tom, the dad. He has been in 123 things. Most people know. Yeah. Most people know him from Parks and Rec. His first acting job was in the Drive video for R.E.M. That was his first gig. Oh, man. I got to go look that up again. Uh Uh-huh. He's also been in ER, Boy Meets World, NYPD Blue. He was in Hellraiser, Bloodline, Star Trek First Contact, CSI Miami, Veronica Mars, Law and Order, American Dad. The Beastie Boys Fight for Your Right Revisited documentary. I must have hosted that or something. I don't know. Parks and Rec, Robot Chicken, Drunk History, Hot Tub Time Machine 2, Beep, Wet Hot American Summer 10 Years Later. I don't know. Did you ever watch Wet Hot American Summer? It's a, yeah, it's a spoof of the 80s summer camp musical genre. 
So there funny. needs a spoof. Little Evil. He was in that. That was a pretty good little horror comedy as well. He was also in The Good Place. He plays a bastard in there. Really? Uh, 2000. Yeah. Because I, I think of him, he's always a nerd geek Always guy. a nice guy, yeah. yeah. No, he's like some major demon in, in The Good Place. Oh, that's going to be worth seeing then. Uh, the Twilight Zone, the 2019 version, Big Little Lies, and he also does voiceover in Big Mouth. So Adam Scott, very well known. Tony Collette plays the mom, Sarah. She's been in 87 films. And some of them are amazing horror films. In Sixth Sense, oh, she yeah. was in the, re- yeah, she was in the remake of Shaft, Dinner with Friends, Little Miss Sunshine, The Dead Girl. She was in the 2011 remake of Fright Nights. She was in Hitchcock. She was in Triple X: Return of Xander Cage. Wow, that is a lot of horror. Yeah, please stand by. She was the mom in Heredity, which is an awesome horror film if you get the chance to see that she's one of those actresses i'm like oh i recognize that name and it clicks that i like what she's in usually but i can't name stuff she's been in it's just one of those things she reminds me or actually jessica chastain reminds me of tony collette a lot in their looks and the way their mannerisms are she was also in velvet buzzsaw which is a horror movie based on the art industry and she was in i'm thinking of ending things which if you haven't seen that's a pretty good surreal little trip as well as knives out and ironically she was in a video for arcane fire for money and love so i don't know what it is with these people in music videos but coming up from the 80s that was big you know thing to be in at the time oh yeah david keckner plays howard the uncle and put on your long your running shoes he's been in 202 movies Oof. Yeah, he's been in everything from Jamie Foxx show, Mad About You, Wag the Dog, Love Boat, The Next Wave, Dharma and Greg, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, WWE Raw and SmackDown. He's repeated character on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, American Girl, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Anchorman Afternoon Delight, Anchorman The Legend of Ron Burgundy, 2005 remake of The Dukes of Hazzard, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Thank You for Smoking, Larry the Cable Guy, Health Inspector, Talladega Nights. Barnyard, Reno 911, Snakes on a Plane, Tenacious D, another music-based thing. Jimmy Kimmel Live, he plays this character called T-Bones, who's like a blues musician, which is what he was on Conan O'Brien and Jimmy Kimmel Live. Let's see. King of the Hill, Monk, Final Destination 5, Chuck, Kung Fu Panda, Legends of Awesomeness, Beaven and Butthead. Piranha 300, The Office, Phineas and Ferb, Anchorman 2, Chips, the 2017 remake, Twin Peaks, the 2017 remake, Drunk History, The Epic Tales of Captain Unger- wow. Underpants, American <laughs> Dad, The Goldbergs, and F is for Family. So he's one of those people that you could quiz people like, ah, name something else he's been in because you've probably seen him and you may even yep. know I recognize him, but yeah. it, it's never that big blockbuster leading part but he was great in it oh yeah he's i don't know that i've seen him in a movie that i was like man that was a poor performance by david keckner yeah yeah hey he he, there's something to be said for making a living and doing what you love but not necessarily being that walk down the red carpet with the paparazzi we do have two two actors here who are firsts for us um the first is allison tolman and she plays linda the aunt the young aunt. She's been in 42 different things and she got her start on Barney and friends. 
Wow. She is the first horror movie actress we have who ever played in Barney and Friends. Well, that's like back in the day, they first appeared on The Mouseketeers. Yep. It was the 90s version. <laughs> She's also been in The Mindy Project, Archer, Fargo the Series, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Drunk History, and Castle Rock, and a movie called The Last Shift, which is actually pretty good. MJ Anthony plays Max. He's got 19 credits to his name, including It's Complicated, Grey's Anatomy, The Mentalist's Divergent Insurgent. He was in the Divergent series. Uh, the 2016 version of The Jungle Book, and he is the kid in Incarnate, which is yet another horror film. Here's the other person who's got a first for us, Cochata Farrell. She plays Aunt Dorothy. And when you see her, you've seen her. And yeah. Stuff, right? She's been in 131 things, and her first acting job was in Maud. Wow. Yes. Man. I don't going to go through the list of stuff that she's in that you'll recognize and it's going to sound like a netflix let's reboot shows from the 80s list she was in mod she was in network she was in one day at a time she was in the rockford files good times the love boat knots landing bj and the bear quincy cagney and lacy saint elsewhere american playhouse e slash r which was emergency room Matlock, Night Court, Who's the Boss, Mystic Pizza, Murder, She Wrote, Edward Scissorhands, L.A. Law, Walker, Texas Ranger, Buffy the Vampire Slayer series, Touched by an Angel, Jag, Aaron Brockovich, Hapax, E.R., as in the one everyone thinks about, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Wild Thornburys, Judging Amy, Two and a Half Men, Grace and Frankie, Axe Murders of Villesca. She died in 2020. Oh, man. So she just passed away last year. But she has, she's one of those people who's been in a lot of things. You've seen her in stuff, and she's actually, at one point in time, showed up in almost every show that you and I have ever watched as a kid. Yeah, I was going to say, geez, I've seen everything on that list. Probably why she looked familiar, too. Seemed familiar. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Stephanie Levy Owen played Beth sister the only other thing that i could think of that she was in that you'd recognize if you've seen it she was in that new show on netflix sweet tooth i haven't seen it yet it's on the list but but she gets mentioned because lolo owen who plays her cousin stevie is actually her little sister so the two of them were related so uh, the big sister and the one cousin were actual sisters. Originally, Dougherty wanted to use the Universal logo from the 1980s, the kind of grainy one that you could tell was hand animated. But it, instead, they went with this frozen look, which is how the movie opens as it like scrolls across and it's all covered in ice and the world's covered in ice. The movie is actually that, that Christmassy feel, but almost not. It was a yeah. really good opening for that. Yeah, yeah. It just makes you cold. Some of us are more used to it. <laughs> you were just born the wrong time of the year. Yeah. Um, oh, it's set in Ohio, in Columbus. Oh, okay. And there's really nothing in the movie to jump out and say this is Columbus, but there's a radio broadcast that lists Delaware County, Franklin County, and all these other counties that are affected by this blizzard that's hitting, and all of those counties are around columbus ohio oh, i totally missed that yeah it's pretty subtle yeah cool so the movie begins there's uh, is it bing crosby singing it's beginning to look a lot like christmas <laughs> a 
great version of it. And it is this department store opening up and there are shoppers just rushing in and fights are breaking out between them and other people over toys. The people, the, the store is beautifully decorated, right? Yeah. So you go in and it just looks astonishing. And that contrasts so starkly with the security guys who are like smiling as they're tasing somebody <laughs> lying on the floor right. and the drooling board looking checkout people and all the horrible adults sitting there fading. The, the, the beginning here is definitely a political statement <laughs> when you look at it, because you could take that whole beginning part out and you still have the rest of the story because it's not directly tied to the story. It's not like reference back. It, it sets the mood and the tone. I, you know, I, I'm watching this going, yeah, he's making a statement that this is the spirit of Christmas that's being killed. This is where it's dying. We use this fairy tale character as the epitome of that, but it's this, let's kill everybody so we can get that $50 off the VCR. So there's definitely a political statement for consumerism at the beginning. <laughs> there's two actual themes that run throughout the entire movie. And I, I made notes of them as they popped up through the story. But the first is definitely that the way we treat Christmas now is not how Christmas was meant to be treated. Absolutely. And, and this is a perfect example of it. As this, and this whole scene is shot in slow motion. So you get to see all the yeah. kind of thing going on. It is definitely over the top all the way, which is funny yes. because you say it's over the top, but then you hear reports that the exact stuff happens every year. Yep. So they're sitting there and there's a scene of a nativity going on and it's slowly panning in and you're like, huh? And then you notice that two of the characters of the nativity are like rolling around on the floor and parents are like slowly getting up out of the audience, come rush up and stop this. And there's even some girl standing there smiling, like recording it on her camera. The, one of the kids in the fight, is Max and the two parents getting up are Tom and Sarah and the girl recording it is Beth, his sister. So aside from that scuffle and setting the tone, uh, you're right. The scene didn't really need to be there because in the next scene, they're walking into the scene opens with a black and white version of a Christmas carol playing on the television and the door opens and in comes Tom and Sarah and Beth and Max. And Max is in, still in his reindeer thing, and he's got like a thing of frozen peas on his jaw where the kid punched him. And there's this little old lady in the house making cutout cookies. She's cooking cookies for Christmas. It's so funny you say that. They call her Omi, but the cookies, this is actually more geared for your sister than your mom because the cookies are Linzer cookies. And there's stolen bread up there as well, S-T-O-L-E-N, which are staples in Austrian Christmas baked goods. So if your sister saw it, because Steve's sister does cooking, yeah. if, if she saw it, she might be like, oh, that's traditional Austrian food. The family is of Austrian descent. We make Linzer cookies almost every year. There you so, go. Yeah. Yep. I think my mom had the same apron too. <laughs> but your mom doesn't speak German, does she? No, but my grandmother did because my grandmother and great-grandmother would get into arguments and start yelling. And so we knew what the German swear words were, even if we weren't sure what they meant. Originally, Dougherty was going to make Omi deaf, but instead he decided to make her Germanic. And so throughout the movie, she's always speaking in German. 
everyone speaks to her in English, but she always replies in German, and only Tom and Max actually seem to know what she's saying as she speaks. It's like uh, Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Yeah. Or, or Luke and R2. <laughs> the parents are berating Max for fighting at the nativity, and he's defending it because he's like, the shepherd was this bully. He's telling the first graders that Santa wasn't real. And here's where we get to see the contrast of his theme here. You have two camps in the household. You have Omi and Max who believe and appreciate Christmas for what it is and what it's always been. Then you have mom, dad, and the sister who are just going about their everyday lives just wearing Christmas like a coat, like it's a decoration for them. That's a good um, analogy. Yeah. So you, you have the people who really fully believe in it, and then you have the people who don't. And it turns out Max has even written a letter to Santa, and he needs to finish it before it gets sent. It cuts to Sarah, who's putting up family pictures on the wall, all perfectly aligned. And she's arguing with Beth over the fact that her sister and her sister's family are coming over for Christmas. And Beth is, that's why some people shouldn't be allowed to breed. Your words, Mom, not mine. Then she storms off. Sarah's, I didn't say that. I said they should have to take a test. (laughs) And then when she's done saying that, she looks at one of the pictures and she notices that it's a family photo and Santa is like a perv and is like leering at her daughter who's standing to his left. Which, again, is just setting the tone of this is not really what Christmas is supposed to be about. We cut from that horrible scene to Omi and Max, who are wrapping a gift as she's laying out basically the general brief of the story, and here's the second theme. She's speaking of St. Nick, because Max asks her if she still believes, and she says the magic of Christmas is there, and it's what you make of it. And as she's saying this, her smile fades away, and she seems uneasy. And if you look at the movie as a whole, she's right. The magic of Christmas is there. And when she says it's what you make of it, she doesn't mean you can either have it be a good thing or not. She means you can either make it be a good thing or it can be really bad. The magic of Christmas flows both ways for Omi. We then cut to Beth, who is in her room, video chatting with her boyfriend, whose name I don't even remember, about how awful Christmas is going to be. And the whole room starts to shake. But he's got a candy cane bomb. He's he in does the spirit, especially if yes. he uses it. Then he's probably really in the spirit. Yes. All and, his cookies you know, look good. <laughs> because all teenagers smoke weed. All teenagers video it, chat. It might be legal in you know his state. He's in Ohio, remember? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Unless he's got glaucoma, that's not legit. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. So that's what Beth is doing. The house starts to shake. Tom is in his study pouring alcohol into a coffee mug and the walls start to shake. Max is sitting at the table, hastily putting the finishing touches on his mug. And Sarah is uh, not his mug. He's putting his finishing touches on his letter. And Sarah is gearing up for getting ready to open the door because it turns out that rattling is her sister's family arriving in their monster vehicle. (laughs) Again, Christmas vacation reference there. (laughs) Yes. She opens the door and she's like, Merry Christmas with a smile on her face. After she takes a really deep breath. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. 
her sister Linda comes in and explaining how bad the roads are and how miserable the trip was. And then her older son, Howie, or I guess her only son, Howie Jr. comes in, hands her this potato and cheese casserole, which I thought looked awesome. Yeah, it looked good. And she's rolling her eyes. Was it about potato it. and cheese? I thought it was mac and cheese with hot dog because they reference it later and they're eating. It, it could have been. I think it, it is. That sounds pretty good, too. I'd be happy with that. In comes her husband, Howard Sr. He's played by David Koechner. He's carrying a whole bunch of, of gifts, and Tom's going to offer to help him. And then he he, acts, he drops them, and he starts belittling Tom, like, right away. Because Howard is 110% toxic masculinity. That's all he is. It, you know, everything's if man. If you're not into sports and hunting, then you're worthless. Yes. And he, it, it shows with his daughters. <laughs> Correct. He has uh, two older daughters who come in. Stephanie and the other one's name escapes me, but we'll come up with Stevie. it eventually. Stevie and then the other one's yeah. name escapes me. It's like Jesse, maybe. Yeah, I forget too. But they come in. They're, they're pretty bulky. And they also have an infant that they forget that they leave in the car. <laughs> so they have to send someone back out. They brought their bulldog. But the most annoying thing is they brought Big Fat Ant, and that's what finally puts Sarah over the line. She pulls her sister aside, and she's like, what are you doing bringing her here? And she's, she showed up at the door with a suitcase. We didn't know what else to do. And I love Aunt Dorothy. She has the best lines throughout the whole movie. Everything she says, that's the humor part for me, mostly. Is yes. When Aunt Dorothy opens her mouth and says something, because she's very pragmatic through the, the whole thing just at one point in time max says something and she's i think the boy should be given a medal for just telling it like it is <laughs> yeah. yeah there's also this little scene where the sisters notice sam's letter sticking out of his pocket and they lift it they're, they're deft about it like he doesn't know it's the move the film then moves to the dinner table everyone's sitting around the di- dinner table and now, again you there there was one true horror part that you missed on this and this is coming from the parent perspective that they eat some sugary desserts before they eat dinner for a parent that's true horror that's true yes they're sitting at the dinner table and we can see the contrast between the two families let's just laid out one is fake and pretentious and narcissistic and the other is crude and cruel and toxically masculine you've got a belching kid and gun talk and then you have cornish hens and specially prepared fish um so there's obviously going to be conflicts between these two and and the uncle who's sitting at isn't he sitting at the head of the no he's sitting on the side but he has to pick on uh, adam scott's character because adam scott's not a real man because he was an eagle scout (laughs) yes he was an eagle scout (laughs) that 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 one hitting steve right there which he said that's true we did a lot of wilderness survival Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Sarah ends up basically telling everyone off because the food's too rich. And then she's just, I'm going to go make dessert. So she gets up to make dessert. The aunt comes into the kitchen and wants to see what's for dessert. Because, you know, all this fancy food goes straight through her pipes, she says. Which is actually a reference for something that's going to happen two days later. She's making creme brulees. While she's doing that, the two sisters start to tease Max about how Santa died in the sleigh crash, but he ate the reindeer first. And he's like getting all antsy, wanting to dive over the table and take him out. And his sister keeps 
calming him down. Wondering how much the sister didn't want the family there. I, like, why is she should like, yeah, go get them. They deserve yeah. it. So he was, he's getting upset about it. They tease him about still believing in Santa and he's no, I don't. And then they're like, then what's this letter? Now he's really starting to freak out and they start to read it out loud. And I think their thought was, it was going to be very embarrassing for him, which it was, but it actually turns out to be more embarrassing for them, for everyone else, really, because Max is actually asking Santa Claus to bring non-material things, make his parents love each other again, or help out uncle Howard and aunt Linda. Cause they're really struggling like financially and help Stevie and Jesse because it's not their fault that uncle Howard always wanted a guy always wanted a son. And they like, they get upset by that. And then the fight breaks out. Max tackles his cousins, grabs the letter and says that he hates Christmas. And then the door opens and out comes Sarah creme brulee. We cut to Max's room and he's been crying. And Tom goes in like the dutiful father. And he says something that becomes another theme in this film. And that's that uh, this is the time of year when we stop and think about family, whether we like them or not. It makes you feel good there. It does. But if you consider how Stevie and Max get along at the start of the movie, and then you jump all the way to the end, there is this growth of character. Yes. In that regardless of what they thought about each other, when things were fine, when the chips are down, they've got each other's back. Max takes his letter, Santa, and just tears it up to pieces and throws it out the window. And that's it. That is the final spell for summoning Krampus. Because as soon as he does, clouds roll in. The weather gets nasty. And everyone goes to bed. And the first sign you have that something is wrong is in the morning, Max gets up and looks out his window. And there's this giant, creepy snowman in his front yard. Right. And they've lost electricity by this time. And yes. the screen goes black. I was, I really was waiting for one of those white letters to fade in and say like day 55. It's like a survival apocalypse. And if this is Ohio, that must've been set in the blizzard of 78. So that's what it seemed like. Everybody's got their cell phones. Yeah. We don't get snow like that. Well, that's true. <laughs> Not anymore. He goes downstairs to tell his parents about the snowman and there is no power. There's no phones. The blizzard is raging. Doorbell rings. There's a DHL delivery man. Um, he drops off a package and so Linda's the one, one dedicated, dedicated. Yeah. Yeah. Linda's there, signs for the package, and then notices this massive sack of gifts and asks if he brought those. He's like, nope, must be the boys in brown, referring <laughs> to UPS. So she brings all that in as well. Beth wants to go see her boyfriend, who only lives a couple blocks away, so her mom's, okay, be back in an hour. And Omi is sitting in the camp, in the living room with a fire. Sarah tells Max to tell her to, to get her away from the fire. And he goes over and here she's got this giant fire going and she's making hot chocolate. Hot chocolate makes everything better. What, it, what was, it, really, it really needs to be ultimate hot chocolate. Like me and Megan used to make a little bit of vanilla, some cinnamon, put some whipped cream on top, sprinkles, a couple extra additions. It was a little thick. So it actually makes me think it was actual chocolate yes, kind of hot I chocolate, not I, some sort of brown powder mix. Right. I believe so. Yeah. And again, watching this, Price was watching it with me. 
as soon as Beth goes out the door, is she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> what parent's going to let their kid wander a couple blocks in the like worst blizzard ever? I was like, okay, that that's stretching it there. I can believe Krampus before I believe they let her just wander out into the. And the dad goes, oh, she'll be fine. Yeah. You're the Eagle Scout talking about survival, man. The holiday part of the movie is now over. <laughs> We're to the horror movie part. J.J. Abrams has arrived. Beth is walking down the street in this blizzard. Everything is frozen over and she's looking around. Now, here's where we start to get into your CGI. Okay. And number one. Let me talk about CGI. I forgot to mention. Okay. But when he was ripping up the letter is when I first noticed how great the music was throughout because it really sets the mood and what fit that scene perfectly. And there's some good music throughout the whole thing and good sound effects, especially when Krampus starts. So whoever was doing that work did fantastic on this movie. Yeah, the Foley work is very good. The music even has Christmas Carol themes woven into it, which is brilliant. You'll be listening to this setting music and you're like, is that Silent Night? Just, just and, a slight creepiness to it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So special effects, the fog in her breath, Added in post. That's all CGI. Okay. Oh, okay. the studio. Okay. So they're all sweating to death under those costumes. <laughs> yeah. Now the fake snow, that was legit. That's diaper filling. That's what they use for all the fake snow. But are you, are you ready for this? Okay. The houses are all CGI. Really? Wow. Yes. Not only are they uh, CGI, they are, many of them were designed based off of famous houses from 80s movies. Oh, that I absolutely love that. I mean, to do yeah. that little Easter egg, that'll endear a movie to my heart right away. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. And it's one of those things, how we talk about how CGI doesn't age. That's like a perfect use of it. Yeah. Because it's such in the background, no one's looking at it. So and, you and can get away with it if, if it gets you know, dated over time, no one's going to notice. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect choice because like I said, they did for all the, the monsters, they did what practical costumes and they looked fantastic. They really put some time and money into those and they were great. They were wonderful. If it had been CGI, it would have looked more hokey, especially as time goes by. So yeah, you're right. That Those, those decisions are perfect. Let's probably make this movie a classic for years. Yep. So Beth's walking down the road in the blizzard and everything is frozen. And as she's looking around, she looks up at this house and Krampus lands on the roof of the house. Just this great big horned thing just lands on the roof of the house. And good crunchy uh, sound effects. Yes. And Beth screams and starts to run. And Krampus follows, leaping from rooftop to rooftop. Now, I had to question that. So the boyfriend's only a couple blocks away. So two, three blocks. And maybe she's halfway, maybe not. But she keeps running forward away from where her family is. <laughs> It just seemed, I don't know. She was actually walking like a six block loop so she could smoke a cigarette before she got there. She was taking the long route. She finds the DHL truck and like scrapes this frost away. And the driver is inside looking terrified and dead. Completely frozen. Yes. So Beth climbs under the van. She's hiding under the van and these huge hooves land near the van and walk around it get to the front of the van and then leap away. You're like, Oh, I've never seen a horror movie. It must be okay. <laughs> Turn the page. Yes. So she looks to her right and there's a Jack in the box. 
and the little handle is turning and it's playing music all by itself, which is always a bad scene. And as it finishes, it opens and you see this kind of clown thing start to emerge out. And then it cuts to the roof of the van and it starts to shake and she's screaming. And that is the end of Beth. I could tease it along in the movie because there's several times where Krampus uses Beth's voice to lure people. And I'm not going to do that to you. I'm just going to come right out and say it. But Beth's done. She's over. From Max, us to try and drag things along. Yes. Max looks out his window and sees a second snowman. Tom and Sarah are looking out the window and wondering where Beth is. And then Tom asks Howard if he thinks his Hummer will make it through the blizzard, which, of course, he's like, aim this east and hit gas. I won't stop till I hit the beaches of Normandy. And it's got slow down, dude. And then the movie splits into two sections. And for the ease of just verbally narrating, we're just going to do one section and then cut back to the other because it bounces back and forth. And I like to think of it as like you're out in the cold and then they come back to the living room where you can warm up a little bit and then they're back out in the cold. So the people outside is going, it's going to be Tom and Howard. There's some bonding happening as they're driving down the road. They're talking and they're getting along. They run over this Christmas tree ornament as they're approaching this abandoned snowplow. Keys are in the ignition. There's presents on the seat. Photograph tucked up in the sun visor, but no people. Because she or, didn't see a snowplow. See, I told you she walked around the long oh, way. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The windshield has been punched in. So something came through the windshield from the outside. And it would actually be hard to tell based on velocity and things like that. But I can see you making that assumption that it's been punched in yeah then they know that the front the house in front of them the front door's open and howard goes back to the trunk of his hummer and gets out his gun which you know of course he's got to have a gun in the trunk of the car he Multiple. pulls out a shot yeah pulls out a shotgun for him and hands a handgun to howard uh hands a handgun to tom and tom gets heavy howard sure it is it's linda's <laughs> that was a pretty good line He's got, not only does he have the shotgun, he's got the shotgun with a flashlight underneath it, just in case you want to go hunting something at night. So they head into the house looking for Beth and her boyfriend, and something's definitely gone on. The house is turned upside down. There's damage to the chimney. There's a gingerbread pinned to the refrigerator with a knife. There's goat hoof prints. And then they hear Beth scream, and they run outside for the scream. And as we've already pointed out, Beth's dead. Yeah. But so, they're so running Krampus out. Krampus might be related to a Wendigo. Is there mimics and lure people out into the woods by sounding like somebody else? He's got such a cast of helpers with him. It wouldn't surprise me if he's got some Icelandic guy that's like voice impersonator. Who's with right. him. Maybe he has so that, that guy Weird Al always had that did the fart noises with his hands. So they're out. They're running out to see if they can find Beth. And then something grabs something in the snow grabs Howard's leg. And begins to drag him away. And I love this because it really looked like a scene from Jaws. It looked like the great white got him under the water and was dragging him along. Yeah. Tom grabs his hand and goes to pull him out and then lets go. And it looks like Howard's looking at him like, what, you're just letting me go? But he lets go to take the gun and shoot into the snow. Whatever. Some scout knows how to shoot. He was Apparently. on the range. Yes. I, did you, later, he flips open that chamber and checks he, he handles it professionally he does however i'm trying to think of any summer camp i ever went to where we did 
uh, revolver shooting. But no, you know, not so it, much. Yeah. 22s maybe, but uh, <laughs> no handgun firing. Right. Yeah, he did that later, let's say. Yeah. Uh, whatever it was, let's go. And they head back to the Hummer, but it's been destroyed. It's just a smoldering pile. And that so was the pretty two impressive. Of them, yeah. The two of them limp back to the house. Meanwhile, back at the house, the sisters are reminiscing over Christmas past and then all of a sudden there's noises from the direction of the roof. Sarah's it must be squirrels. And then the whole house shakes. And, and Aunt Dorothy says, in this weather? For the yeah. squirrels. <laughs> the house shakes and Sarah doubles down. Yep, see? Squirrels. <laughs> and then Aunt Dorothy's like playing with their nuts. And Omi, ever wise Omi, like leans into the fireplace and glances up the chimney. They hear Tom's gunshot because they don't live in the sticks like we do where everybody's shooting all the time. And now Sarah's like upset. So she's getting dressed and she's about to head outside when the guys burst through the door. And they're trying to do this balance between getting safe and prepared and not causing a panic. So they send the kids to the kitchen with Aunt Dorothy where they can talk. And Tom turns uh, to Omi to say, can you go with the kids? And she says, keep the fire hot. And then she heads out into the kitchen. And, and the first thing she does in the kitchen is start fingering the butcher knife. <laughs> Makes yes. you wonder. In the kitchen, Aunt Dorothy's mixing up spiked hot chocolate, which almost gave the movie a rated R. Because Howie Jr. drinks, Max is actually spying on the adults, and Omi is arming herself with a meat cleaver. <laughs> which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah grandma's got a meat cleaver i heard that um, <laughs> so the parents are in the living room strategizing you know how to look for beth how to escape and tom suggests boarding up the doors and the windows kids are in the doorway listening to the whole thing and then everyone decides they're going to camp out in the living room which in a house where we have electric baseboard heat and wood heat it we lose power. That's what we do. Everybody goes into the living room and we build a big fire in the fireplace and everyone hangs out there because it's the only warm spot in the house. Howard and Tom share this kind of moment between the two of them. Shepherd's got to protect his flock. I don't know how many freaking times that line is in this movie, but it said a lot. Yeah. Max points out to Tom that Omi is acting oddly and the men decide to set watch and Howard says he'll go first, which if you're like me, you're like, he is 110% going to sleep. What he does. Yeah, I love this because throughout the whole movie, again, I'm taking it as some political statements that uh, Doherty is making because here's this tough guy, always talking big, talking tough. He has uh, young Howie drinking a two liter of pop to prepare him for a linebacker and stuff. Yeah. And I got to protect the flock with my big gun. I'm staying awake first. And he falls asleep. Every step of the way, it's all talk. When it comes down to it, they're the ones panicking the most. They're the ones falling apart, not knowing what to do. It's just all talk, which I, I, apl I applauded because that's the type of thinking I've <laughs> had about those types of personalities. The fire has now gone out and everybody's asleep. Silent Night is playing on the kid's tablet, which is a really nice little touch. And then when it turns off, we hear giggling overhead. Right. Did you see the cartoon the baby was watching? It, it, I loved it because it looked like Rudolph, but it was sounding like Charlie Brown Christmas. So, yes. it, you know, it was, that was fun. 
we didn't want to worry about any copyright. Exactly. So this, I, I loved this part. A chain and a hook lowers down the chimney, and there's a gingerbread man on the chain. And Howie Jr. sees it and heads over to this fishing line, which is exactly what it is. Yeah. He grabs the cookie and takes a big bite out of it, and it comes to life, and, is, and the kid freaks out and drops it. Then it grabs the chain and wraps it around his legs, and he's getting sucked up into the chimney. And you gotta question this child who, oh, something strange is lowering a gingerbread cookie down the chimney. I'll eat it. Yes, for sure. However, they have, from the moment he walks in the door, established him as an idiot. Oh, yeah. He's a mouth breather. His mouth's always open. You talk to him, he says nothing. Max is like, oh, you want to go blah, blah, blah? And he's just standing there staring at him and then walks away. It's There's a stereotype they've built with this character. Oh, yeah. He's sticking with it. He's all about food and he's an idiot. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) My apologies to all the Howie Juniors out there. Sarah wakes up, hears the screams, grabs the kid by the legs, and she's trying to pull him down. While she's doing this, she gets pulled into the fireplace. She kicks out a log from the fireplace. It rolls into the Christmas tree, catches the Christmas tree on fire. Tom is helping Sarah try and save little Howie Jr. And he's yelling to Max to get a fire extinguisher to put the Christmas tree out. Which he does. And then, shoop, Howie's gone. Because Sarah loses her grip. and. Howard's looking up the chimney and a shoe comes down and hits him in the face as his son is joining Beth. He is no more. Sarah starts freaking out because one of the gingerbread come down and go to her. Yeah, she actually saw one of the gingerbread moving. And this causes Omi to launch into the story of Krampus. Yes. She says it's the whole family's fault. She switches to English and the film goes into this really nicely done animated sequence. I loved it. It was, uh, yeah, gorgeous. It it looked like uh, those old tin moving toys the animation was. Yeah, yeah. And she's talking about when she was a child and people were starving and they're fighting over bread and Omi is there as a young girl. She's got the Santa Claus doll and she gets her bread and then all the adults around her knock her down and take her bread and run off and She's there and her parents are fighting and there's a brief glimpse of an advent calendar on the wall and it is built off of the advent calendar that is used in the movie to show the passage of time. Every time a day goes by, they open the advent calendar, you know, it's the 23rd. So they actually, it shows that this is an advent calendar that she brought with her from Austria kind of thing which I thought was a neat little detail they had yeah, thrown in there. Definitely. Her parents tear off this, the Santa Claus head on her doll and drop it. And she gets mad and throws the doll in the fireplace and changes her Christmas wish from whatever she wanted for Christmas. Just wish that they all went away. And Krampus arrives and takes everyone with her, takes everyone with him and leaves her behind. As and, uh, a warning said, to everybody else, a reminder. She's the one who made the wish. Yeah. So she said, I knew St. Lick- Nicholas wasn't coming this year. Krampus came not to reward, but to punish. And a little Krampus bell is left for, 
for her, which she keeps to this day. She's got it with her. Um, and Aunt Dorothy's comment, or no, that's still coming up here in a second. She's she's telling this story, and it's the only time Krampus is ever actually mentioned in the entire movie. Every other time, he's just this monster everyone's running away from. Of course, Howard doesn't believe it. And while she was telling the story, there were Christmas carols being played as the background music, again, very subtly intertwined with what the background music could sound like. It was just really well done. Yeah. Their that use that of part Christmas alone music. is worthwhile watching. Yeah, it would be actually cool to get a hold of the soundtrack and just play it. That's, yeah. Over for Christmas. I'm sure somebody put it up on YouTube. Oh, I'm sure somewhere. Howard's made up his mind to go out and take whatever this is head on. He doesn't believe that it's a monster or anything, but he's going to go take this thing. So he takes the gun, opens the door, and the two, three snowmen has turned into an army of creepy snowmen in the front yard. And there's little figures of something running around in between the things. And they pull him back in, and Sarah shuts the door, and she's, don't open the door. Being very serious, reminding me of the character from Heredity. And then we get this fade to black, and they're opening another Advent day. And I think it's the 24th, maybe? And at this point, Beth is gone. There, There's definitely some weirdness going on, but they don't seem a whole lot of upset about it. They're just, okay, let's try and stay together, which always gets me in movies like this because, man, most parents would be freaking out and losing their absolute mind, which yeah. I understand that they, they, they got to handle what's in front of them too, but it's always that one child totally missing in a blizzard that would be you know, on their mind. But that would change the story. As if, to illustrate your point, the next day starts with Linda sorting through the Christmas gifts and trying to figure out which ones need rewrapped after it's the like, fire. Yeah, after the fire. And hey, here's this football one for Howie Jr. I guess we don't need that one anymore. <laughs> While she's doing that, the girls are asking Omi what to do about Krampus. And she's answering, and Max is translating, and she gives this answer. And the girls look to Max and he's like, I don't understand what that means. And this is where Aunt Dorothy says, it means you're fucked. Because <laughs> I'm old uh, enough to know when life is coming at you with its pants down. Yep. <laughs> that, yep. Was, That's, that was like my favorite line. Great line. Uh, Tom is in the kitchen making plans. Linda finds this jack-in-the-box amidst all the other gifts and notices that it's making noise. She shakes it and it's like playing music. She's about to open it when Sarah calls her away. And so here's their big plan. Tom is going to get that snow plow and bring it back to the house. Then they're going to drive to one of the public shelters around in the snow plow, which honestly isn't a bad plan. No. Assuming it'll run. He's going to plow the way and they're going to fall in the station wagon. And I love it because they have a map and they have it circled and he's drawing lines. I'm like, this plan is not that complicated, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to Chapel Hill. Okay. I don't need a map. Right. I've been there. In the attic, you have all these gifts that are in the attic, and they start to shake and start to unwrap. Max actually looks outside and sees Krampus. And then Krampus is gone, because this giant hulking thing just vanishes all the time. Stevie and Jordan have gone upstairs to use the bathroom, because Aunt Dorothy has apparently destroyed the one downstairs. Well, you just let him go? She's I didn't realize there was another option. Yeah. (laughs) As they're going down the hall, they hear Beth's voice up in the attic. 
it's calling them upstairs and they're like, Oh, okay, let's go see Beth's upstairs. Where have you been? And then there's screams from up in the attic. Sarah grabs an ax and she and Linda and Tom head up the stairs and there's a noise in the kitchen. Howard takes the shotgun and heads that way. After so he, again, sends, he tells the dog to go first. Cause he's the big brave man. Send the little dog in first. And the smart dog runs the other way. Yes. <laughs> that cracked me up. So again, you have this, this back and forth between the two. So we're just going to actually do, deal with one at a time. Uh, the attic is covered in ice, and icicles and everything. Linda finds the gifts and notice they've all been torn open from the inside. Then they note this grotesque Jack in the mo- Jack in the box clown kind of monster that is actively <laughs> swallowing one of the girls. Yeah. Tom shoots at it, and then this angel doll monster swoops down and attacks Sarah. This angry teddy bear attacks Linda, and this robot drops onto his back and starts stabbing him with scissors. The angel's actually wrapped Christmas lights around Sarah's neck and is hauling her up so she's strangling with Christmas lights, and Linda's just had it. She grabs this icicle and jabs it through the teddy bear's eye. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She cuts the lights with the axe and hits the robot with the axe and it goes flying, but she's too late to save Jordan. But they find Stevie. And and this is another example of the great special effects because all these toy monsters are absolutely frightening looking and scary yes. as all get out. They, it was, and puppet. Yeah. No CGI there. It's just puppetry. And, and it was just... They looked so good and they were so scary and there's hanging the mother by the lights. So so it was a really freaky scene, really. And I think that's one of the things why it works so well is because that's what a Jack in the box monster would look like. It would look like a demented puppet. Yeah. You know, so downstairs, how it goes. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Splits apart like predator. Yeah. Um, Howard goes into the kitchen and it's trashed and uh, there's gingerbread men in there and they have the nail gun, which again, we've talked about how this isn't how nail guns work, but for the show, they, they drill some nails into his leg and he limps away and pulls a cutting board in front of him in front of him and more nails hit the cutting board. So he takes his gun and shoots this lantern or something and it explodes. Slow-mo. Yes. (laughs) Slow-mo. Of these gingerbread men on fire flying away. And they're trying to put the fire out, but of course they can't. They're sticky, deliciousness, sugary stuff. So they're on fire. The two of them just run at him, still on fire. And he shoots one of them, tries to shoot at the other one and misses. And he just like cringes and waits and then nothing. And then he hears like this chomping sound and the dog has come back (laughs) and is eating the third cookie. Yeah, that was perfect. because. She's wearing like a tutu or something. She is just this French bulldog and she's yes. chewing on the cookie. That was great. Rosie, she ran away. Rosie is her name. Yeah. Uh, and in probably one of the greatest crimes ever committed in cinema, the gingerbread men were voiced by Seth Green and he was not credited. Really? Oh, that's yes, a good trivia. Was, yeah. Uncredited gingerbread man. And, uh, Cramp. Everyone's downstairs. Rosie is dying to get into the air grates to go after the monsters because the last one she had was delicious. Max lets her in and she goes in and Howard's like, go get him. 
and all of a sudden there's this groaning sound and as what would actually happen the ductwork falls through the ceiling and the giant jack in the mock jack in the box monster falls through the ceiling howard's going to shoot it but the angel shows up and the wounded teddy bear aunt dorothy gets a hold of the shotgun and shoots the bear and the angel and she's about to shoot the jack in the box when a horn sounds you're in trouble when the jack in the box starts clapping its hands like yes that was so perfect because it made it even creepier that it's not just this mindless monster that there's this reaction and that was i love that that was great omi says elves like it's a curse word l god damn elves and they burst through the window and these are like your Icelandic Yule lads. This is exactly how they're depicted. You have this whole uncanny valley thing going on because they're not quite human sized. They're hunched or shorter. Their faces are masks that don't move. And the people who are playing them are doing everything like twisted angles and contorting and very sharp movements. It's not quite human just not quite enough to make it really uncomfortable. It's like they hired Cirque de Soleil or Soleil. How do you say that? Cirque de Soleil. Soleil. There you go. Yeah. They come busting in and put the fire out and they corner the family because they're all armed like chains and hooks and nasty looking weapons. Hellraiser. Yes. (laughs) They chain up Aunt Dorothy, take her and the Jack in the box and the baby. And and Aunt Aunt Dorothy's all damn. Yeah, yeah. She's, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> the horn sounds again, and they all leave. Tom grabs the gun and reloads, and they decide they're just going to make a run for the snowplow. Omi decides she's going to stay behind. Tells Max to be good, and locks the door. Tom at first is no, we've got to we've got to go through the window and get her. And Max is no, she's doing this for us. So right. Tom's like, okay, see you, mom. And they head <laughs> off. Yeah. Running for the snowplow. And Omi meets Krampus for the second time. The house is actively icing over as he comes down the chimney. And they made the very interesting choice to have him come down the chimney head first. Yeah. You always see Santa come, you see his boots come down, and then he's magically in the room. Krampus crawls down the chimney and you see his claws first and then his horns he, he almost oozes out yes it looks a lot like the grinch yeah it's the first good look we get of him he's got this crazy long tongue he puts this sack down in front of it her and he opens it and there's all these vicious toy monster things in there and then it cuts to the family in the snow yeah so omi has has made her final sacrifice which really they didn't see, help. No, it really didn't. <laughs> I think yeah. it was more, she was redeeming herself from earlier. Yep. Uh, they see the snow plow in the distance and make a run for it. The under snow monster, for lack of a better word, heads towards them. And Tom shoots at it a couple times. Oh, I'm sorry. It, get, it gets Howard, doesn't it? Yeah, the under snow monster yeah. grabs Howard. Then Tom shoots at it a couple times. He tells them all to run while he stays behind. And it circles him, and while it's circling him, he's firing at it, and apparently missing, and then he's out of ammo. He just closes his eyes, and he's gone. We get to the snowplow, and they get Stevie in the snowplow. 
Linda gets sucked into the snow. Sarah grabs Max and puts him in, and then she gets pulled under. Right. And it's Max. So, so everybody starts sacrificing themselves to save who's left. And it's almost comical because it's just nothing they're doing is really helping. And Not at I, all. I was thinking if that was like me and you in the situation with our families, you would have had it better off because you had more kids you could sacrifice to the enemies. But now I've actually got more. So between the two of us, we probably could have made it out. We got and enough kids to burn. <laughs> add the dogs in the mix. Oh, God, yeah. A couple cats. Shoot. We probably got four or five of us actually in the cab of that truck right now. Yeah, we could have made it all the way to Cleveland by the time we got through all the people. Sure. I find it funny because all of a sudden, Max, this kid who looks like he might be, what, 12? Supposed to start and drive this truck? Shocker, newsflash, it doesn't start when he tries to turn it over. And the the tough family, Stevie, she's just screaming, start it. Not helpful. Yeah, not so much. Fortunately, he doesn't have to listen to Stevie much because there's an elf at the window and it smashes the glass and pulls her right out. He tried to start it. He gets out of the truck and then Krampus is there in front of him. He grabs a tire iron. That's important. He gets out of the truck with a tire iron and Krampus is in front of him and drops this thing of paper or gives this piece of paper to him. And Max looks at it, and it's crumpled up Santa's, torn up Santa's note. And inside is Omi's Krampus bell. And then Krampus is gone. So now, there you go. Torn up, or bad Christmas wishes you yes. know, are, are definitely the magic spell. We already yes. knew that. And, and from Krampus's point of view, that's it. Story done. Because that's how it was with Omi. It was like, everyone's gone. Here's your bell. And I'm going to leave you alone now. So that's what should have happened with Max. But Max isn't taking this lying down. He returns to the house. Or he's returning towards the house. And he sees all these monsters and elves, Krampus, and like these big, weird reindeer, for lack of a better word, pulling this giant wagon thing. It's a real, a real parade of geeks. Yeah. And they've got Stevie. And so Max yells at him and throws the bell at Krampus and says he takes back his wish and the bell sinks through the snow and the earth cracks in this volcano thing forms, just like this giant hole that leads to pit straight to hell. And the elves are dragging Stevie to the edge as Max rushes up to Krampus and he begs him to fix it. He's like, I know you can fix it. And he offers himself in exchange. If he'll just bring them all back. He's got this tear and Krampus reaches down with one claw and takes his tear and pulls it back and then starts to what you can only assume for Krampus laugh at the boy as um, they throw Stevie in. Then Krampus grabs Max by the head and holds him over the hole. And Max apologizes. He says, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted Christmas to be like what it used to be. And then he drops him. And then it fades to white and Max wakes up in his own bed and falls out of bed. You're like, oh, it was just a bad dream. He heads downstairs and everything is great. Like the entire family's here. Everyone's opening gifts. It's awesome. It is a Christmas carol. It is. Someone hands him a gift and he opens it and it's the Krampus bell. And everybody stops what they're doing and gets this very disturbed look in their eyes. And the camera starts to pan back and they are trapped. The entire house is trapped in a snow globe and Krampus's claw pull away and their shelves 
couple of houses and snow globes. One of them in there is the house from Psycho. Nice. And another one that is in there is actually Michael Doherty's house from when he was growing up. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And so this Krampus bell is definitely a little more ominous than the one from the Polar Express. Yes. Yes. Uh, it apparently can open a pit to hell right in yeah. your backyard if, yeah. if you throw it. There's a lot of debate about what the ending means. Okay. I was going to um, say a couple things on that. The common debate is it is one, they are trapped in this thing, forced to relive basically what Max's wish was, is that Christmas would go back to what it was. Perpetually over and over. So it's like forever you know, and ever. That, that Groundhog's Day thing. And you think it's great? Well, do it every day. Now you're going to hate it. Yes. Yeah, I, I saw that. The other debate, the other side of the debate is, no, this is actually Christmas Day. The whole thing with the snow globe is that from now on, Krampus is watching the house close. Between the two, I like the, this is, they're just stuck in this. They've all been sent to hell and this is their hell. Right. It's Christmas Day for eternity. Well, I, I wondered about that, that one, because that would mean Alma is in two different Christmas snow globes. That she should have been reliving the one from when she was a kid. Unless you consider this entire thing was all part of her snow globe. Yes, that's true too. And you mentioned earlier about Oma and Max were the only two that believed in Christmas. They're the only two that caused all these things to happen. So it's almost a statement (laughs) on if you believe in Christmas, then you're the reason all these bad things. But people that believe in it actually had a better Christmas because Krampus didn't visit. Yeah, there's several things I, I picked up on that. And I love the fact that they were using the funnies and newspaper to wrap presents because I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're high class, just like Lyndon Howard. Yep, where we live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mac and cheese and hot dog slices. Yeah, maybe <laughs> some bacon. Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Well, happy holidays, everyone. That's Krampus. <laughs> it's definitely... I like to watch the Christmas horror movies between Halloween and uh, Thanksgiving because it's that transition between horror and Christmas, and it almost extends the Christmas season a bit. There's a couple other pretty good Christmas horror movies out there. Some really bad oh, ones, yeah. but a couple good ones. This is definitely worth watching. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, a lot of it's over the top um, and stereotypical. It's also farcical. It was a choice made to reinforce the point. Yeah. So. It wasn't done because, hey, all high school kids have a boyfriend with a bong. No, it was a choice made to be like, this is what everyone thinks of as typical. And we're going to take all of that, turn it on its head and introduce a giant Christmas evil spirit. And for anyone that does want to look it up and watch it, make sure you get the right one. Uh, You'll probably know it because if you're like, this sucks, that's probably the wrong one. (laughs) If, If you make it 15 minutes in. And beyond, then you've probably got the right one because the rest of them really, you can't go much further than so that. So bad. Yeah. We've watched a few movies with low budgets, but some of those really must have $2 budgets. Yeah. Yeah. Paramilitary Krampus is just not something that's <laughs> too enjoyable. <laughs> so. All right, man. So happy holidays. Thanks, Sam, to you and yours. Yeah.